couple of things tonight. I just want to remind us of the purpose of these nights. Um, and that's creating a culture, lifting and raising the bar of leadership in this house. Leaders lead. Leaders change things. Leaders direct others. Um, without leaders, nothing or too much happens. And that's a pattern that goes across every country. You know, you get a bad leader, bad countries, good leader, healthy countries. And so leadership is critical. And leadership, discipleship, I put them in the same thing. God says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're all called to be leaders. We have to bind the words that say, I am not a leader. It's a lie. Don't call God a liar because God says you are a disciple, which means you're going to disciple others, which means you're leading other people. You are all leaders. Leadership is not a title. It's not a position. It's a heartbeat. And it's a mindset. You lead children. You lead one another. You lead yourself. So you're a leader. So these aren't in your notes, but if you want to write this down, spiritual leadership is not an occupation, but a calling. If you need notes, there's just some at the back here. Spiritual leadership is not an occupation, but a calling. Kirk's got pens as well, if anyone needs a pen. Spiritual leadership is not an occupation, but a calling. We are all called to lead. Did you know we're all called to be prophetic? We're all called to be apostolic. We're all called to be evangelistic. We're all called to be pastoral. We're all called to be teachers. So in that, we're going to lead. We're not all apostles. We're not all prophets. We're not all teachers. But we're all called to be an apostolic, prophetic, evangelistical teacher, shepherding people who lead other people into life. Which means, firstly, we have to model the life, don't we? We have to be the life and then speak of the life. So it's a calling. It's not an occupation. It's not a title. So many people are waiting for the title before they lead. They go, oh, that's not my responsibility. It is your responsibility, just like it's my responsibility. And in a family, we all have responsibilities. And we are a family, are we not? We are all chosen to be spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders are servants. Okay? So spiritual leadership is not an occupation but a calling. We are all chosen to be spiritual leaders because spiritual leaders are servants. And that's the way the person that Jesus was and what he modeled. And the other thing, the other thing is spiritual leadership is moving people off their own will and onto God's will. So spiritual leadership is about moving people off their will and onto God's will. Not necessarily an easy thing. And if you model it, that is where the power really mainly is because people want to see an example of it. And that gives you the authority to speak of the life that you're modeling. And so spiritual leadership is really about moving people from their own agenda onto the body, God's agenda that he's building, which means we need to know the will of God. We need to know what the purpose God has for his body if we're going to lead people from here to here. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? 
which means we have to be in that ourselves, on the journey, living the life, being intentional, being focused, being determined. Luke and I were saying before just about, you know, we are talking about being the gym and how if you're not intentional, if you're not purposeful, you can turn up to the gym, you can have a membership, but it doesn't mean your body changes. You can even do the exercises, but it doesn't mean your body's changing because you can do them all wrong, but you can say, but I was there. Well, I had my membership and I turned up and I drank the water and I had a chat and worked, did some funny things and some exercise. It's really funny when you see people work out, eh? You know, they, <laughs> some people you go, what's that? <laughs> and they're trying to work their back and they're working more of their arms or they're trying to do biceps and there's all this big swinging and all the big weights, but nothing's happening. And we can be the same. We can do a lot of exercise here, spiritual exercise, but nothing's really happening because we're not intentional. We're not focused. We're out of alignment. And tonight I'm going to talk about alignment. Um, but the first leadership practice that we had, and this isn't in your notes, this is just a recap, okay, was leadership of self. Who can remember that? Stu got up and he spoke about the leadership of self, how it's so important that you need to be able to lead you. He talked about making the bed. He said, one of the things is, is if your bed's not made, you're going to make the bed. The basics, lead yourself. Some people are so all over the place and they try and lead others and they can't even lead themselves. So we need to lead ourselves. We need to be diligent. We need to be disciplined. We need to know where we're going. We need to know the right food we need to be eating to get where we're going. You can't lead yourself. You can't lead anybody else. Or you'll lead them down a pit. So he talked about leadership of self, then Joe spoke about good leaders need to be good followers. So good leaders need to be good followers. Jesus was the ultimate leader and the ultimate follower. He only did what his father told him to do. He only did what he saw his father doing. He followed the example perfectly. So good leaders are great followers. Great followers make great leaders. So that was the second session, leadership practice. And notice these words are practices. They're not principles. They're practices. It's about putting them into practice, not just admiring a principle. It must be lived out through personhood. And so tonight I'm going to talk about who am I as a leader and who do you say I am as a leader? So... In your own sphere, who are you as a leader? Do you know who you are? And do you know who the leader is that you may be under? Two very important things that every person who's in leadership, which is all of us, needs to know. Are you confident as a leader? Are you assured in your leadership? And are you also confident in the leadership above you? And we're going to look at the life of Christ and we're going to look at our own lives and there'll be a blend of those two things because Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And we're going to look at why he asked that question. And I'm going to ask you, as an example, who do you say I am to you? Because the way you respond is going to determine everything. The way you respond to Christ, it'll determine everything. The way we respond to one another, it will determine everything. And if we want to really become the people he's calling us to be, we actually have to look at these hard questions through the eyes of love and humility and see him and his way. And then 
go after that with all guns blazing. Otherwise, we will never be the people he's calling us to be. And we have to be very comfortable in this area of leadership. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, in this nation, we're not. Leadership's a bit of a swear word. Maybe leadership has abused people, so they throw leadership out. Then you've got jellyfish style of leadership, so that's got no backbone. And so leadership in the New Zealand culture, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to figure it out myself. Thanks. She'll be right. It's me, me, and me. Don't you dare. But that's not biblical. Every one of us must be under leadership and also have others under us. That's the biblical pattern. And Jesus honoured the man that said, man, I've not seen authority like that in all of Israel. And it was all tied to coming under authority and knowing who he was and flowing in that. So hearing and seeing is critical in this era of leadership. So then you align yourself and stop fighting the principle, the purpose of God, which we can do. Especially if you've been hurt by leaders, abused by leaders, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But many do. And so it's a loss of life for that person because they're not entering in because it's my way or no way, he says. You can walk around the mountain as much as you want, but until you come under my way, you won't be in life. So we have to be confronted. So a couple of things we're going to unpack. Knowing who you are as a leader. So this is all in your notes, I think. Others knowing who you are as a leader and your purpose as a leader. Okay, That's critical. Others knowing who you are as a leader and your purpose as a leader. It's fascinating raising physical children and the battle for leadership in the home. And so they need to know that mum and dad are in control. They need to know that we're confident. They need to know that there's an assurance. They need to know they can trust us. They need to know so they can come under, not try to fight it, not try to work against it. But that still happens because they're trying to establish their own will. Why can't I do that? We're in that phase at the moment. Why not? It's good. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it is. No, it's not. Why? 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 And there's this battle for leadership. There's only one person going to win that. <laughs> My dad was a great leader of the home. He put me straight a number of times when I needed to get under alignment, and he did it in love. I remember this one time I really upset my mum, and I'd said some horrible things, actually. I was 15. I was probably about six foot at least, so I was a lot bigger than my mum. And um, I said this horrible thing to her. And uh, anyway, she sent me to my room even at 15. And um, she said, you wait till your dad gets home. I was like, ugh. And my dad was about the same size as me, but don't take on my dad. And um, anyway, he came home. And I uh, heard a conversation going in the kitchen, and I'm sitting there, you know, waiting. It's like the dreaded wait. I reckon he made me wait about an extra 10 minutes. So he's <laughs> packing myself on the bed. He walks in. He sits down. He says, I've heard you upset your mum today. And I went, yeah. He looked me straight in the eye. He didn't raise his voice. He looked at me. He said, son, look at me. He looked me straight in the eye. He said, son, I brought you into this world. Do that again. I'll take you right out of it. <laughs> Got up, walked out the thing, and I was like, you got it, all good, yeah, we're, we are clear. <laughs> and I needed realigning, I needed, because I was out of alignment. I don't know how that would fly today in today's culture, but I tell you what, it worked. 
and it was great parenting and bang, you've stepped out of alignment, you've stepped out of respect. Now I'm going to help you get back into it. You've crossed the line and at times we cross lines and we need leadership to help us bring into alignment, but from a place of love, isn't it? But how many people know at times love, cannot, may, love may not sound like love when it's love? Because the flesh doesn't like it when it's asked to get under an alignment. You're out of alignment and you're hurting yourself. And so we need to be able to receive. And so we're going to look at knowing who you are as a leader. So in your notes, and we're looking at Jesus first off, because he knew exactly who he was. So Luke 22, 66 to 71 and 23, 1 to 3. Let's just go through line by line. When it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled both chief priests and scribes and they led him away to their council chamber saying if you are the Christ tell us but he said to them if I tell you you will not believe and if I ask a question you will not answer but from now on the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God and they all said are you the son of God then and he said to them yes I Am. An absolute confidence in who he was. He knew who he was as a person. He knew who he was as a son. And he knew who he was as a leader. This was going to get him in severe trouble, wasn't it? The acknowledgement of this, we're going to look at this, was going to get him ultimately killed. But he was that confident. He was assured. Why? Because he knew who he was and he spoke. Then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? They were trying to nail him so they could kill him. For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Luke 23, 1. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Christ, the King. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the King of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Once again, he's just reaffirming who he is. But there's an uproar here, isn't there? It's dangerous being a confident, assured leader. It's dangerous when people don't necessarily agree with you, like you, believe in you. You're saying who you are. They're going, no, you're not. That's arrogant. No, it's not. It's humility. To be able to be who God has called you to be and live it out requires massive humility. Massive humility. And so often in the body of Christ, it's mistaken as arrogance because we don't even know what humility is. Imitate me as I imitate the Christ. Absolute humility. What have I said that to you? What if Sam said that to you? What if Trina said that to you as a disciple? Imitate me, disciple, as I imitate the Christ. If you're a discipleship really, what if you said that to your people? How would that go down? Could you even say it if you were in it? Do you have the humility to even say that if that was actually a real position in your heart? Or would you be in false humility, no confidence? Oh, you can't say that. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, you can't say that. There's a lot of false humility in the body of Christ. A lot of false humility. Painted up as true humility, but it's not. Absolute confidence requires absolute humility, spirit humility to say, and Jesus was in it, and it really upset everybody. Yes, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am the Messiah, and I am here 
to do a work. And the kingdom of darkness rose up, didn't it? Okay. Listen to what it says. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. It's Rome. Rome goes, no guilt in this man. The Israelites go, crucify him. Is there something wrong with that picture? You see how he comes for his people, they say crucify him, and Rome goes, leave him alone. I find no guilt, but they kept on insisting he stirs up the people. Do you know what leadership will do that? Good leadership will stir up the people. What for? For action, for relationship, for the purpose in which the people were created, to get people out of slumber, to get them out of themselves, and what? Into the will of God. Godly leadership will stir up the people from love, not just for the sake of, but from love to get the people activated into who they're supposed to be. Doesn't mean the people like that. Doesn't mean the people like being stirred up, challenged in love, asked questions that are heart questions. Doesn't mean people like that stuff, hence they crucified Christ. But confident leaders who know who they are, they know they're called from Christ out of love because they have to, because love has to act. I was sharing this with Noel, I think, today. It's like love has to act when it sees someone getting lost or in stuff. It, it can't help but. It's not love if it doesn't act. If I know Sam is walking away in a form of deception and I don't, because I'm led by the Spirit, have a conversation about that, that's not love. That's lust. And I'm so afraid he might get offended. That's not love. Love goes because it's love. Can you hear what I'm saying? It has to. It's propelled. Jesus was propelled to come to earth for us knowing he was going to die. That's how powerful love is. It has to. It can't contain itself. There's no option whether it's going to. When the Father says go, it has to go at the cost of its own life because that's what love is. It's who he is. And it's the same with Jesus. And when a leader is full of love, he will stir up things or she will stir up things, but for love, not to offend, but to stir people up for love so that people can come into who they're actually supposed to be. Doesn't necessarily go down well, though. <laughs> doesn't matter. Just because you know who you are doesn't mean others do. And it certainly doesn't mean that they receive you as you are. We're going to get real tonight, okay? Can we get really, really real? I hope so, because we're going to get real. Acts 9, 3 to 5. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, this is Paul, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Who's I am? Who? God. I am God, Jesus. He knew exactly who he was. That's a big statement, isn't it? I am who sends you, Moses? Tell them I am sent you. 
So he's identifying himself as God because he was God. I am. How confident and assured because he knew who he was. Luke 4, here's a beautiful scripture, 1421. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, key. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, another key. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. He said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes, it's like the ultimate mic drop. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Who is Jesus saying he is? The Messiah. He's quoting from Isaiah, and they are fully aware of Isaiah, and they are waiting for the Messiah. And so he says, I am the Messiah. Let me read the scripture that's about me. Bang. There you go. And he sat down, and then he waited for the response of the people. Now, what does it say? Let's go back to the start. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of The Spirit. Leaders, followers of Christ need to be in the power of the Spirit if they're actually going to be able to live out and say who they really are in Christ because it's the power of God they need to set them free from people and the favor of people because they know they're going to upset people when they get up and say, here's the reality that really is because they are in Christ to the measure that they're in it. If you don't have the power of God, you won't live like that. I won't live like that because you're in the fear of what people think. You're going to be in the fear of your life being killed. If I say that, they'll kill me. No, you're already dead. You're a dead man walking. You don't have a life. What are you talking about your life? Your life is hidden in Christ. You've lost your life and you found a new life and a new life enables you to do that because you've got the power of God operating in you by the Spirit. So you got broken into pieces. Remember that message? And now you have a new power operating in you, which is not your old power, because that got broken to pieces, your will and your pride. And now you're operating from true power that I've given you. So now you can stand before the people and say it as it is. And because it's not your church, you can say it as it is. But you say it in love and you say it the best way you can. And then you let him minister. This is what Jesus is doing right here. Listen to this. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Remember, he's a carpenter's son. What's the carpenter doing teaching in the synagogue? Why isn't he in the factory making chairs and tables? 
And they're recognizing this guy going, you're a carpenter. What are you going? You're the, wow, come on, man. We know you. We grew up with you. Now you're trying to crack on. You're the Messiah. See how much you need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know as a leader if you're going to step into this. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up. I've missed a bit. Where is it? About the Nazareth. Ah, and he came to and he came to Nazareth. We had been brought up. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who said that? Isn't it funny how God chooses people that aren't from the system? He chooses them in the wilderness. He chooses them out of little stables. He raises up people that are nobodies. Why? Because they've got a heart of a nobody. And then he elevates them because he says he gives grace to the humble, but he smashes the proud. So he takes people that are nobodies from Nazareth because nothing good comes out of Nazareth, only the Messiah. Where did John the Baptist come from? Where was he? He was in the wilderness. Who did the word of the Lord come to? It certainly wasn't the who's who of the day. Why does God choose these nobodies to use who are somebodies in him? See, John's a nobody, but he's the greatest prophet, isn't he? He's the greatest of the last. And the Bible says those that are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. Do you know who that's who you are called to be? Greater than the last greatest prophet. Well, are you? And are you living in a confidence and assurance of knowing who you are and setting a trail because of the Christ in you? Jesus was. And Jesus was so focused. He was so intentional. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew the goal to which you had came. When others said, you need to stay here and preach. He said, no, no, I need to go to all the other cities and preach the kingdom of God because it's three days until I'm crucified. He was a leader that was so focused and everything was on measure and on point. He waited four days, didn't he? Till he went to his friend. Man, look at that. Not a very good pastor. He was an excellent one. He didn't operate on man's timetable. He operated on his father's. Is that our mindset? I don't know where this expectation comes that pastors are supposed to be doing all this work, running around, being hospital visits and praying for this, doing all this stuff on the time scale of man. And when I call, you better come running. Gee, it wouldn't have gone down too well when Jesus was the pastor of the rock, would it? I'm just saying this to try and make a point, see? We need to be that confident and assured in ourselves and walking in Christ because the flesh will manifest in front of you when it doesn't get what it wants, when it wants it. And unless you're strong, you will succumb to the flesh and you will enter into flesh works instead of the spirit works. And so we need to be that confident like Christ was confident. Mark 2, 5 and 11. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, not in their minds, in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up. 
and pick up your pallet and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. These are the words. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What's he saying? I am. Well, what's this? Bang, heal. I am. He was so confident. He was so assured because he knew his father and he knew who he was and he operated from that authority all the time. And the sinner and the tax collector and the prostitute loved him and the religious spirit hated him. And it's no different today. The religious spirit hates the truth. Hates it. Why? Because it, the truth threatens the religious spirit. And the religious spirit is in a mode of self-preservation. But the truth comes to set it free. And so the truth comes and it confronts the religious spirit. And the religious spirit is supposed to bow down and repent to the truth. But so often it doesn't. It rises up against the truth swears that's not the truth, and in Jesus' name walks away from truth. All to keep itself alive because the flesh wants to self-preserve itself. Self wants to live. And the religious spirit wants to live. And it needs to be killed through the power of truth, through confident leaders who know who they are in Christ, out of love, proclaim the Word of God because it's the Word of God that performs the work in people that kills the flesh, renews the mind, and brings the people into life, the life they were destined for. But unless that flesh is dealt with by the Word of God, so it takes a man or a woman who's been in the Word to speak the Word, God said, let there be light. Bang, there was light, wasn't there? How were the worlds prepared? By the so it requires someone who's been in the Word, with the Word, to get the Word, a living Word, and speak a Word that causes issues. <laughs> you got issues? Sunday morning, you got issues? Get healed then by the Word. Let the Word heal your issue. Sometimes we've got issues because we've actually run away from the Word. And we got hurt, saying so we got hurt. No, no, you couldn't have ears to hear the Word, so you got hurt because your flesh got hurt instead of it surrendering to the Word. I've had so many people, oh, the church hurt me. Really? Maybe? Maybe not. Maybe you couldn't hear the Word and you got offended at the truth that came to cut you and kill you and you didn't like it. And so you blame because that's the easiest thing is to blame other people, not actually look in the mirror. And even if it was someone, the first point of call is to look in the mirror because Christ in me is greater than that and I'm called to love on that even if it's intentionally trying to hurt me. So whichever way it goes, I've got to look in the mirror. Yeah? That's a high call, isn't it? Then just justify myself away and go, it was them. It was you. It was you. It was you. It was you. No, no. Look here. Father, forgive for they don't know what they're doing. Because the Word has entered into and the Word created creation. So if the words of God create the world of God, what do you think it's going to do to you if you receive the Word? It's going to build you. His life in you. And Jesus was living from this. So then he spoke from this place. And he upset some and some loved him. Okay, in your notes. 
little bit of filling in the blanks. Jesus knew who he was as a leader. So the blank is who. Jesus knew who he was as a leader. He knew his identity as a leader. He knew his authority as a leader. He knew his purpose. And the purpose for his leadership. That's really important. Those are two different things, even though they're wrapped up in one. He knew his purpose and the purpose for his leadership. So he knew exactly what he came to earth to do, and he knew the purpose for his leadership, what was going to happen. And we need to too. So we need to know the lane in which we've called to run in as leaders and the purpose for that. It's to have an impact from generation upon generation upon generation, and it's to impact the now. So the purpose, I know one of my purposes and the leadership gift of my life is to proclaim his word. That's one of the purposes, one of the reasons. That was spoken over me six months as a follower. But at the time I went, what? Me, I don't even read the book. And now it's a reality. And the impact, the purpose for that leadership is to see a church by the power of Jesus Christ raised up by the word of God and the spirit. So we need to know the purpose and the reason for why we are here, to influence one another, to see a church spotless, holy and blameless raised up on the earth now, today, tomorrow, and to affect the generations to come and to help change the health of this nation to the best we can, knowing that it's perishing anyway. But that doesn't mean we don't make a difference, does it? Because we've been called to bring, be agents of the kingdom. He knew whose leadership, whose leadership he was under as a follower. He knew whose leadership he was under as a follower. He knew how to lead himself well. He was self-motivated. Didn't need a wake-up call, didn't need the alarm, didn't need the email reminders, didn't need the notifications on the new app. As good as they are, he knew what time, where he needed to be. He was prepared. He was ready. Why? Because he was leading himself. So do we. This is the standard that we need to get to, guys. This is the standard we need to be thinking about and asking him to raise us to through our discipline and our diligence and our seeking and our asking and our knocking. Nothing casual about following Jesus. And he knew, as I say, he knew who he was under. So I'll read all that as one sentence. Jesus knew who he was as a leader. He knew his identity as a leader. He knew his authority as a leader. He knew his purpose and the purpose for his leadership. He knew whose leadership he was under as a follower, and he knew how to lead himself well. Because of all these attributes, Jesus was confident in his own leadership. Okay? So in your notes, if we are not confident in our own leadership, then others won't be confident in our leadership. If we are not confident in our own leadership, 
then others won't be confident in our leadership. If we are unsure about ourselves, then others will also be unsure about us. I'm sure we've all experienced that, eh? Even if you're driving in the car with somebody and the person on the opposite who's driving is like, you just look nervous. Now you're making me feel real nervous. Do you know that feeling? You know, or someone's leading or so you're doing something, I don't know, and it's like, you don't look confident. Have you done this? Oh, you know, we're watching at the moment Bear Grylls Mission Survive on uh, TV On Demand. It's awesome. If you want to go watch it, it's cool. And um, anyway, you see these people who they're taking completely outside of their comfort zone. They're actors, sports people in the middle of Africa, and they're doing stuff they don't know how to do, but he's trying to teach them. And, of course, he's looking for a leader. He's looking for who's the survivor out of the pack. And one by one, they're getting vote. He votes them off because they just look like they're not going to cope. And so he's looking for this lead. And you see, I was just watching it with the girls before I came, and there's these two people trying to abseil down the line, down this massive cliff face. And this girl, this woman from East Enders, she really doesn't know what she's doing. And, she's, and so they're, and the other guy's like, do you know what you're doing? Do you? And they go, no, not really. And all of a sudden, they slurp, and then they spin around, and she whacks her head on the thing. And you can just see the other guys freaking out. You see his face. Why? Because she's not confident. And she's supposed to be the leader of this group because she's been given the leadership, but she's not confident, so he's not confident. And it's a horrible feeling. And so it's like we need to be confident in our leadership because it broods, breeds confidence in others. And others go, you know where you're going. You know what you seem to be saying and doing. I can trust you, which means I can actually enter in with you. Come walk with me. But if we're not, people won't. And so everyone's sort of a bit stagnant. I don't know, a bit nervous. Maybe we'll just stay here and play it safe. And so just under that it says, being confident, being confident doesn't mean you are being arrogant. So we really need to learn the difference between true biblical humility and fleshly arrogance. Being confident doesn't mean you are being arrogant. Being confident means you have a conviction of what you are confident in. Being confident means you have a conviction of what you are confident in, which means you put everything on the line for what you have a conviction in. I've shared this before, but I remember when God showed me the bride of Christ, and he showed me the purpose for the church, he opened my eyes to see in the eternal realm. He then took me to the scriptures and showed me why that means that. And he went, a lot of things have to change at the rock. And things aren't going to go too well when they start to change because people don't like change. He said, what are you going to do? Because you said to me, you're never going to play this thing called Christianity. And I heard it, so now I'm calling you on it. And I've shown you it for a purpose. Are you going to keep it to yourself and just not speak of it and hope it goes away or what? Are you going to continue on as normal? Or are you going to step into this, speak it, knowing I build it and see what happens, but I'm in control and you can have a break and have a rest while things kick off? Because I knew things were going to kick off because he showed it to me because I knew the magnitude of what he'd shown me. And I've said this, I'm going to dismantle you, then I'm going to dismantle the rock. He's been dismantling us for nine years. Whether you know it or not, he has. 
if we're entering into it, he's challenging, he's shaking foundations. Like, do you know me? Do you really know me? Do you have a life in you beyond just principles? And so I had an absolute confidence because of the conviction of what he'd show me in the spirit. It needed to be to trump me. Because if you really know me, I was passionate about lost people. You'd see me down Courtney Place. You'd see me at the pubs. You'd find me on the street with barbecues. I took my discipleship group out three times to Oriental Parade, giving out tracks, sharing the gospel, giving out sausages, all that stuff to see people get across the line. It was going to take something pretty massive to change my conviction that was of him, but just was position number two, not number one. And when he showed it to me, it spun me around. I found repentance. I wept here if you were here. and I broke in front of everybody. I asked people to forgive me because of what God had shown me. I had such a confidence through the conviction of the revelation of the Spirit that I went, everything has to change. Boom, we're going this way. And then the fallout with wisdom, hopefully everything's going to come with us. But as you know, it didn't. And here we are. That's what's really gone on here. This is the power of the truth and what it does. But I had an absolute, and I still do. Hence, I'm still here. Love stays. Eh? Love stays when it's persecuted. Love stays when it's lied about. Love stays when all the things are said about it. But it stays. Why? Because it can. Now, you can think this is arrogance or you can see this as humility. You choose. I know which one it is. But love stays. It never runs. And it stays unto death. Because that's what he did, and that's how you know. So confidence through conviction creates an immovable force. And it's been described, me as being a, what's the word that James said, though? A battering ram. <laughs> a battering ram. And this is what we're going to look at in the second part of this, because if you don't know I'm a battering ram, now, here in the spirit, but what are battering rams for? Smashing through things. They smash through fleshly mindsets. They smash through kingdom of darkness stuff. They smash, and they have a hard head, head like flint. That's an apostolic gift. It's a plumb line. It smashes stuff. It sees stuff and goes for it. Now, while I'm growing and maturing, forgive me for some of the words I might say, but I'm going after what I've seen and I've got an absolute conviction and knowledge and I'd bank everything on it. So I say to people, okay, you might disagree with me, but are you prepared to put everything on what you believe? I am. Let's go. And then you sort of suddenly like, oh, maybe not as convinced. Oh, no, no, you said, come on, let's go. This is how strong it is, you know. And so this is what God wants to do. He wants to open our eyes up so we can see in the Spirit, the eternal, which creates an absolute confidence where you stand in front of people that may disagree with you, may do whatever about you like Jesus did, but you stand because really you're only interested in the audience of one, which is him. And he says, well done, faithful, because I showed you what was going to happen. I prepared you for it all so you know, and then you stand there in love and confidence and let him minister. Doesn't mean people understand it. Doesn't mean people like it. Doesn't mean people follow. Doesn't mean any, none of that. All that's irrelevant. Ultimately, it's like, are you doing what I've asked you to do from a place of love? Your intent is not to do that stuff. Your intent, but that's an outcome of what happens. 
when leaders in Christ who are confident in who they know, the role they play, and the purpose for what they're about happens. And that's for every one of us. And guys, it's getting darker and darker. And the church is going to be so aliens in time. Already part of the church are succumbing to it. The Uniting Church in Australia have just said yes to the marriage bill. Uh, sorry, gay marriage. And so if the ministers want to marry, they can. It's one of the largest churches in Australia. And the wording from the president was horrendous. All in the name of Jesus and wisdom and faith. Because we've all got a diverse faith. Really. No, I just got one faith and one truth. So we are going to be ostracized and aliens because it's going to become the norm to not know who you are, what sex you are. And if you speak against it, you're going to be deemed as arrogant, dogmatic, single-minded, narrow-minded. And the challenge is, what are you going to do? And you need to have someone greater in you because when the crushing comes, you need to have someone greater in you to stand there and go, I'm not succumbing to that. So kill me, whatever you want to do, but I've got someone greater in me, so take your best shot. Christ in me, the hope of glory, is better and stronger than anything you can throw at me because I'm already dead. This is what he's trying to build. These are the people he's trying to build. He always has been trying to build them. And this is what we can come into and the confidence and the assurance. Life is but rubbish compared to what? Knowing you. Can you hear the absolute knowledge he has? He says, I'm going to get the crown. I'm going to get the crown, he says. It awaits me. It's mine. And to anyone and everyone who will follow and live the same life, it's yours. It's not a if, maybe, but. He says, I'm so confident of the day of Christ. I can't wait till he comes back. He's not afraid of his judgment. See, he's looking forward to it. Why? Because he's got an absolute confidence because he knows who he is. He knows who God is. He knows the purpose on his life and he can't wait to get his reward. That's arrogance. No, that's absolute humility and knowledge of God. And it's an absolute confidence that you stand on the rock of Gibraltar saying, he is my rock, that's not me. And we can know this the more we're in him. It may not be your reality today, and that is fine, but do you want it to be? See, this is what prophecy is. It prophesies a reality that may not be, but it needs to be realized. Prophecy is the unrealized aspect of God's will, still waiting. So it's God's will for us, and yet it still hasn't yet been our reality. So it's prophetic because it's living, it's there, it's a promise. Have you realized the promise? Have you received the promise so you live from the promise, which is the confidence in Christ? Yeah? Okay, number two. <laughs> <laughs> Others knowing who you are as a leader and your purpose as a leader. Okay, so knowing who you are as a leader, number one. The second thing is others knowing who you are as a leader and your purpose as a leader. This is critical that others know. This is why we did this whole fivefold teaching. You may not have come, go and listen to it. It's online because it will give you understanding of what God's doing here and how God builds the church through giftings and why people are the way they are. And so it really helps understand. If you understand the prophet, you go, that's why they say that. And that's why they do that. That makes sense. 
If you understand an evangelist and the purpose, you'll go, that's why they're so passionate about lost people. A teacher, that's why they can pull that apart and do all that. I don't have that gift. No, don't try to be that gift. I'm not saying don't teach the word, but don't try and imitate or, or sorry, emulate that person because they've got a gracing on them to do what they do. So if you don't understand this stuff, especially my gifting, man, it goes after stuff. So it's like I can highly offend because it goes after the throat of the flesh, but in love. And it says it as it is. Hey, Danny. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hear about that on Sunday, eh, babe? World War Three in Cambodia. You come on. <sighs> So I'm not saying I have to, I have to with my gift, I have to, with wisdom, and I was sharing with someone today, try and bring it in a way that, you know, words are important. Ultimately, it's the word that they need to hear, but the words can create stumbling blocks. So you have to think about the words, but at the same time, the conviction and the power is so great, it's hard to even think about words when it's just come flying out of your mouth because the Spirit's moving. So that's why grace is needed. So hear what's being said not even how it's being said, but hear it. Hear the word. Not words, the word. What I'm not saying. Okay? Jesus said a whole lot of stuff, but he wasn't saying it. Oh, we didn't bring any bread. I'm not talking about bread, you egg. I'm talking about the... <laughs> I'm talking about eggs. What did he say, Kirsten? Let's see. Hey, Kirsten, what did he say? Let's see if Kirsten's heard what he said. <laughs> oh. oh, now we're justifying ourselves out of it. Here we go. Watch it right now. Okay. We can have that laugh. I love her. She loves me. We're going to find out anyway, eh, Kirsten? <laughs> so. So in Matthew 16, it says, 16, 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now what you have to realize is where he said this, behind him was a mountain with a whole lot of idols and gods. So he's standing there with all the gods of the Greeks and everything else behind him going, who do you say, who do the people say I am? When you look at all the gods and you look at all the myths, do you know who I am? Okay, so it's a powerful picture of what's actually unfolding here. The question, why does Jesus ask this question? Can he not remember who he is? <laughs> I need to find out who I am. <laughs> does he have a mild case of amnesia? <laughs> no, it's for the people. Okay, He's trying to find out who the people say I am. This is critical. Okay, In your notes, Jesus looks to see if the people actually know who he is. Jesus looks to see if the people actually know who he is because he knows depending on how they see him, not physically. Okay? Physically, they saw him as a carpenter. Spiritually, he's the Messiah. What did they do? They crucified the Messiah. Surely they wouldn't have done that had they known who he was. So they literally did not knowing but they thought they knew. We can be the same, eh? You can genuinely think you know something only to have him show you you didn't know it at all. 
But you are so convinced of what you thought you knew, there's a way that seems right to a man, but actually it's killing you. Okay? This will determine, this will determine whether they receive him as he truly is. So I'll read it out as one paragraph. Jesus looks to see if the people actually know who he is because he knows depending on how they see him, this will determine whether they receive him as he truly is. It's so critical that you have a revelation of who he is and you have a revelation of who we are to one another. So if God gives gifts, which he's given every one of us a gift, we need to know who we are, the gift on our lives, so we can see it, so then we can come under it, receive from it. So some gifts, the fivefold, are for the building and the equipping of the church. The other gifts are for the service of the body. And together they work as one. One is not better than the other. The other is not better than the one, but it's just the way in which God has designed the body to operate. Okay, So we need to see the gift on everyone's life so we can receive from it. If you can't see it and it starts to operate, especially like we've said, if it comes with a lot of power and fire, you go, whoa, settle down. What? No, 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 it's not right. And so you resist and can even reject him on the person. That's why Jesus says they don't hate you, they hate me. It's me in you that they are actually rejecting, but they don't know that. They think it's you. You with me? So that's why we make it about people. See, if I can make it about Greg, then I can walk away. But if it's God, ooh. So I'll make it about Greg so I don't want to confront that or Danielle or Cena or whoever. As a discipleship leader, I'm sure you've probably had to address some things in your groups. And so you go and it's Christ and you come to help, but the person rejects you. They get upset at you and it's actually the Christ in you, but they don't know that. So then they make it about you and blame you so they can continue where they're at. Works really well. I didn't have to change. I almost got caught out with that one. Ooh, gee, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for leading me out of that, Jesus. Jesus going, if you could really hit, that was, that was me trying to get you transformed in you. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. So it's the same with Christ, okay? So Mark 6. Joe preached about this at the discipleship notes. Mark 6, 1 to 6. Jesus turns up and he starts speaking in the synagogue and he's teaching. And for a second, they're captivated by him. For one second, they're like, they can hear the word of God. There'd be light, light, they can hear it. Something's going on. All of a sudden, they go and they look through their eyes and they go, hold on a minute. We know you. We grew up with you. No. And all of a sudden, there's a shift. And now they start resisting and rejecting the Messiah. We can do exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I've seen it happen here. Exactly the same thing. I can do it. Okay. So then he says this. A prophet has honor, and you know, it's except where? So over there. <laughs> That's right, over in Australia somewhere. So a prophet has honor, Everywhere except where? Where's number one? Yell out someone. His, his household. Yep. Number one is his household. His, number two? 
hometown. And it says in Mark, his own relatives. So a prophet has honour everywhere except those closest to him or her. Why do you think that is? Why do you think a husband or a wife, the husband or the wife has no honour by the other one, and yet when they travel, there's honour? They know your warts. Maybe they only know the flesh side of you and don't know the Christ side of you. In here, prophet has honour everywhere but here. You have no honour in your home. You have no honour. Now, prophet's not just a prophet with a gift. A prophet, it is that, but it's someone who brings the word of the Lord. Someone who has a living word, because we're all called to what? Not be prophets, but to bring prophetic word, yes? So we're all called to prophesy the word of God, not just you're going to Cambodia in a year. Let me tell you about how God sees family. Boom, the prophetic word is spoken. Ooh, that was sharper than a double-edged sword. That's right, and it cut in the heart, didn't it? Let me talk about how you're holding on to that thing too much. Boom, the prophetic word is spoken, and it has life, and it's living, and it's sharper, and it's active. And what does it do? Judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, and it separates from bone and marrow, soul and spirit. We're all called to bring that word. So people that bring that word to those closest to them because this thing called a familiarity spirit that operates, that permeates, resist and reject. And actually the person's just trying to love you and lead you into life like Christ is. Okay? And so here's the challenge because this operates today. God said to me, and I, you want me really honest? When he took me through Mark 6 and he showed me, he said this, he said there's not a lot of honor at the rock. True biblical honor. Okay? Why? Because do you know? Do you know the purpose of the gifts on different people and their function and how they operate? And are you willing to come under and listen and do what they say? Now you're really getting, you're getting really close to the line. Really, really close. Do you know how close it is between the true church and a counterfeit? Do you know the difference between a cult and the real deal? About 1%. Risky, eh? Really risky. That's why Jesus has to be number one, but man is a close second. Man is not outside of this equation. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate us and God. See, if Paul turned up, we'd all have real issue with him and we'd probably put him on a cross and say, you're the counterfeit. It really challenges who you really know. See, if you're more in him, you'll know the truth. You'll know the truth and you'll be able to live it out the more you're in him. When you don't know it, you're now confronted with something going, hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> now what are you saying? Well, we're saying some people have greater wisdom than others. Some people need to listen to that wisdom if they want to come into life. Because ask yourself, how much life are you in from your wisdom? And if you measure yourself by yourself, that's foolishness. But if you measure yourself by the real standard, that's wisdom. 
And so Jesus confronts his own relatives. They thought he was a nutter. Do you think the pattern's going to be any different? If you're a Christ-like person, do you think you're going to be confronted with the same thing? If you don't, then you're deceived. If you really want the life of Christ, you will go through everything Christ went through. You will be misunderstood, misinterpreted, lied about, spoken badly about, and then you're called to love and pray for your enemy. Because you're in that much of Christ, you can. And God will call you to go speak words that you know are of him, and then step back, and then let the people choose what they want to do. And those that can see and hear will naturally align themselves because they will hear it and know it because they're in him to the measure. And they go, that's my father. That's the truth. I have no issue coming under you. None. Even at the cost of your own life, David and Saul. Now there is a man that knew God and modeled something and the man was trying to kill him. Ooh, there's a challenge, eh? How do you do that? There's a man who's trying to kill a man and he still wouldn't touch him. There's a standard to come into. Or I should say a person to come into that elevates you to that standard. So Jesus is going, there's no honour here and I can't even move. That's what he says in Mark 6. He said, I can hardly do anything, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, because of the lack of honor, because you don't know who I am. And it's always those closest to you at the start that haven't got a clue who you are. And you have to be who he's called you to be and hope that they actually start seeking and coming into and asking and knocking on heaven's door. So then they start seeing and together this, this one. I'm not just talking about me and the other I'm talking about everybody. You're going to hit this in every sphere of life, the church, in your workplace, in your home. It doesn't matter. It's all based on relationships. So if you're in relationships, you're going to hit this if you're in him and you're growing in him because there's something in you that has to live to a higher order and a higher standard because you know you're a leader in Christ. You know the purpose of your gifting. You know the purpose is to see a church raised up. And so you step into the action, into the game, into the war zone but you've got someone greater in you, so it's okay in the hope that people will hear. Love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things, bears all things in the name of love to see love manifested. But the people that struggle the most are right in this room. I'm married to one. She's married to one. My children. The opposition starts right here. My mate doesn't care. My non-Christian mate doesn't care what I do, what I say. It's the people that have a reference for something. Who was it that killed Christ? The Israelites. It wasn't Rome. Rome wanted to let him go. Let him go. Don't know why you're trying to kill him. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It says if you're going to live godly, you'll be persecuted. So if you're living godly, you should be being persecuted. If you're not, you're not. Here's a challenge, isn't it? This is what the Word says, guys. So there's a reality. As you come into more, when you start having the conversations with anyone and everyone in your life, you will see possibly, depends where the other person and the other people are at. 
If there's humility there, they'll be, yeah, come on, let's talk. But you can see people's flesh start to manifest. And the smallest to the greatest stuff. Could be over wanting to tithe. Could be over wanting to start to serve. Could be wanting to be coming out tonight. Where are you going out again? Yeah, why? Because my father's calling me. I'm separated, consecrated from my physical relationship. I'm living for the king and the king and the king and his kingdom. And we're my brothers and sisters of the spirit. And hear me, there's wisdom and there's all that stuff. But do we choose ourselves more than we choose him? Leaders choose him more often than they choose themselves. And then you have to manage this. Why? Because it's a high calling. You'll be persecuted. You'll be hated by those who love you. We've had so many ding-dongs since I got the Bride of Christ revelation, haven't we? Flesh and spirit, hammer and tongs. You wouldn't like it if you saw it. You'd go, these guys, what are they doing? But that's part of life, working it out, because we're in a covenant. And there's a love and there's a surrender and there's a submission both ways. Why? So we come into more of life. Oneness and division are about that far apart. Where you find oneness, you find division, depending on a choice. Right or left, left or right. You offended me. Maybe, maybe not. And? Are we really honest? And? So what? The guy died for you. You're so offended. We're such an offense. People are like, what? He died for you. What do you think? You're not going to be offended? He died. Do we get this? He died. You're going to be offended. Get used to it. Now, you don't do it intentionally, but get used to being offended. It shows you where you're at. And he shows it to you and he allows it to show you why you're offended. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They are stoning me to death. You hold one word, try and help a brother, and they get so, and they're gone. I'm not talking about stoning to death. Father, forgive. He allows stuff so you can see where you're truly at. And if stuff's being balled up in your heart, you want to ask yourself why that is happening. And take it to him and say, Father, help me and show me your word because that's my issue. So that might have been a person that poked the bear. But the bear is supposed to go to the Lord and go, help me. Why did anger come out? Why am I hurt about that? Do not come short of the grace of God so no root of bitterness can get in you and defile many. What's that? See? He's calling us to this high standard through the power of him, the word. And we can live it in Christ. But we have to apprehend and take count. When stuff comes, some of it's allowed, some of it's sure. It's people's own brokenness. I love what Todd White says. He says, when you get offended, it's because you don't know who you are. And he said, if you're the one, being, if you're the one doing the offense, it's because you don't know who you are. Those that know who they are don't offend and they don't get offended. Jesus knew who he was. Did he get offended? He loved when they killed him. Father, forgive them because they do not know. You know what it says in Corinthians? And it says, we don't look at Christ anymore as in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, just before it says we're a new creation. So it says, don't look at one another in the flesh any longer. Why do you think it says that? So you can love on the flesh. So if I'm looking at Chris, let's say Chris is manifesting over me as flesh, but I see him as Christ sees him then there's the love for Chris because I go, he doesn't know what he's doing. 
If he knew who he really was, he wouldn't be acting like this. So I don't look at him in the flesh because if I look at him in the flesh, I'm going to punch him in the face. So I look at him and go, I have compassion because Chris doesn't know who he is in Christ because if he really knew, he wouldn't be trying to smash me. So I love him and I pray for him. And I'm constantly offering relationship, discipleship. Will you walk with me? Will you walk with me? Will you walk with me so we can walk this out together? So I see him as Christ sees him. I love him as Christ and believe he's going to come into that. So at some point, he no longer manifests that he is what I saw he was or he saw I was. Eyes of the Spirit to see in the unseen who God says we are. You are a son, no longer a slave. Live as a son. So while slaves are trying to figure out their sonship, those that know their sons love on slaves so they can become sons. Otherwise, if no one loves, what do we got? Zero. If God said, see, I'm out of here. You guys aren't cutting it. None of us are here tonight, are we? So he says, I want to put you with that love in you so you can love on people that are figuring out who they are and then you can love and pray for them that they would come into who I said they are. But if no one models that, then what is it? It's a big cat fight at the saloon bar and flesh eats flesh, isn't it? What does it say? With your freedom, don't devour one another. Rip, rip, rip. Where's the love? Where's the love that's covering? Don't know. Well, supposed to know. This is what I'm building. Can't even see that. Just in the notes, I'll quickly fly through this and then we'll call it. Why is it that Jesus or a prophet or one who is called by God to bring the word of God is honoured everywhere except by those who are relationally closest to that person? A familiar, blind, fleshly spirit is operating. A familiar, blind, fleshly spirit is operating. How did the disciples answer this question when they answered, who do the people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Are any of these answers correct? No. So the question goes out. The people respond on who they think he is. He's Elijah. He's Jeremiah. He's one of the prophets. He's John the Baptist. None of those are who Jesus is. So he asks the question, do you know who I am? Because it's going to determine how you receive and respond to me whether you will accept and come under my teaching, my Father's ways. Then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? So he turns to Peter, and then he asks Peter. Matthew 16, 16 to 17, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So flesh and blood... Is that a gap in your notes? No, okay. It's just for me. So flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. What's flesh and blood? Man. So man did not tell you or reveal to you that who I am. You needed a revelation from my Father, but my Father who is in heaven. So there has to be a revelation by the Father to know who Jesus is, correct? You can know about him. You can have a mental understanding. 
That doesn't mean you know him, and that doesn't mean you'll come under him. And you'll know by you looking at your life. So if he's the Messiah, and he gives you a command to do something, and you don't do it, what's that saying about you? You don't know him. If the Lord of Lords, the Creator, the Alpha and the Omega, says, I could take you out with one sneeze. And I command you to do that. And you go, yeah, I don't think so. You probably don't know him to the measure you think you know him. Because if you know him, you're in the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, you're on your face. On your face. And the glory of God fills a room. Oh, yeah. It's not, oh, yeah, get round to it. Go make disciples here one day. It's become the optional smorgasbord thing. It's only heaven going, go and make disciples. You know you're going to be held account for that, eh? Do you, though? Has he shown you that? That you're going to stand in front of him and he's going to judge you for every word you've said. And he's going to say, what did you do? And you won't be able to go, uh, didn't have time, was with the kids, playing sport, doing up the house, going on a holiday. He's going to say, ooh, mm, not going to go too good for you right now. Yes, you're in, but my fire's going through you and there is a loss. See, your life isn't your own, guys. You signed up to give your life away and to live for someone else called Jesus Christ. And with that came a whole set of covenant stipulations that we're supposed to be living out, not negotiating with him on. And he's going to hold us to an account. Now, we need to hear this through love and not the law. But he is love and he's going, come on, wake up, wakey, wakey, rise and shine. The Lord has arrived. Yeah, when I get round to it, because I've got all these things to do, God, I've bought a house and I've got married and I bought an ox and I, yeah. See, this is the type of leadership he wants to raise in this house. People have left their life, lost their life, found a life and are influencing others in the life they've come into. It's massive, man. This is redefining Christianity that I've ever heard. Then just get across the line and then really just live as normal. And I don't want to offend anyone, so if I'm offending you tonight, I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to bring you the truth. Because if we're not apprehended and arrested by truth, there's something wrong. If he spoke and the worlds came into being from the word, it's going to unravel and unshake you. It's supposed to. Until you're brought into a realm where you go, come on, preach it. Preach it. Like I said, that message about being broken, if you've come through that, you love it because you know it's the process, and you're never sick, and you're never bored of it. You would go preach it every day on the month of Sunday and on the Sabbath, because you know it's the way to life. So unless the Holy Spirit reveals the Father and the Father's truth in and to us, we will more than likely find ourselves resisting and even rejecting God and his kingdom truths. Unless the Holy Spirit reveals the Father and the Father's truth in and to us, we will more than likely find ourselves resisting 
and even rejecting God and his kingdom truth, which make us free. The real challenge, who does man say man is to one another? So we can sort of get the God thing down and go, yep, cool. Semi got that, working on that. But what about the challenge of coming under man? Ooh. And that is throughout every relationship, isn't it? So it's in one-on-one. It's one-on-one and one. It's one-on-one and children. It's in a 12. It's in a church. Because it's all relationships. Wherever you see a relationship, there is a love and a submission. And a coming under and a leading and a loving. And that's the pattern he gives us. And so as we clearly know from Scripture, he puts leadership over his house. It's called an eldership. And the subjects of the house are to come under the eldership and honor the eldership that's governed. If you don't, then go find another house that you want to come under. But the whole plan is authority over, over. I have to be over under authority. Otherwise, how can I expect you to come under me? So you have to be under and have it under, you have to be under it and have people under you. That's the plan, that's the way, that's the process, it's the blueprint. So we have to get used to, and then we have to understand what it means to be here and what it means to be here because it's a vertical and a horizontal covenant. We just want the one, and you get abuse. So you get these people like this they treat the man as God and throw God out. You just have God and no man. And you need the combination of both for it to be biblical. With God, one man, two. And you got to see that, though, because then you're flowing it, okay? So the question I want to ask you, three questions. Who do you say I am to you? You don't have to answer this. Yeah. Who do you say? So I'm going to ask you the question Jesus asked. Who do you say I am to you? Three questions, okay? Who do you say the elders are to you? And who do you say we are all to one another? Okay. So who do you say I am to you? Who do you say the elders are to you? And who do you say you are to one another? Because your answers are going to determine whether you'll receive from each of those people groups. Does that make sense? If you don't see who we all are to one another, then you will struggle to receive. Okay? And this is the challenge because you can just see me as your friend. So if you see me as your friend, you will receive from me as a friend. You can hear what I'm saying? So if I was to come to you with something I can see in your life or I'm preaching stuff, you'll receive it from the level of authority as a friend. You'll receive it there. Oh, that's interesting. That's annoying me. You're just my friend. Who cares? See you later. I'll just disregard that. So it may be no different to probably a non-Christian friend. You discern it at that level. Okay. What if you just see me as a brother in Christ? So when you, when I say these things, think of yourselves as well. Okay. You're in a discipleship group. There is a leader over the group. Okay. So there's a covering. Or do you just see as mates? So when the leader speaks and says something, it's just Anne. She's going on another tangent again. Just turn off. 
Or is Anne trying to help me because actually I'm under Anne. I believe Anne is for me. She's not against me because I know her heart. So she's for me and we're all to be for one another. So if we're for one another, why would you resist and reject? Because you don't know the person's for you. You think they're against you because your flesh is rising up. So are we just brothers in Christ? Because we're going to receive at that level. Okay. Fellow disciples, I'm just your acquaintance. So I don't really know you that well. So I'm just an acquaintance. So you're going to treat me and one another and the elders at that level. I'm not going to listen to them. I won't consult them on anything. I'll make my own decisions when I want, how I want. Sweet. Can you hear what's, can you hear it? You're nobody. You're literally nobody to me. You know, never met you. Yeah, come here on Sunday, but you're nobody. I'm here for me. And, and same with the eldership and everyone else in the family. You're a nobody. That's the level. Well, I like you, but I you're, you're nobody. I'm not going to listen to you. Okay? You're my pastor. You might see me and go, Oh, you're my pastor. You're our shepherd. Okay. So if you truly see me in that light, and you see the elders as shepherds, then you will respond and respect at that level. Yeah. So you probably will seek their counsel on different things, big decisions. You're thinking about moving away from this family. You probably would want to see the spiritual leadership, eldership over you to discern whether it's right or wrong or at least share with them and actually allow input because you want spiritual input into a massive decision like leaving a family, not an institution or a club. Because if you think of it as an institution or a club, that's easy. I just leave, like gym membership. Les Mills, better deal than City Fitness. See you later, gone within a day. That's how people treat the body of Christ. Where'd they go? I don't know, just left. Oh, well, that was it. We were nobodies to them. No, they were our pastors. What a whole lot of dribble. I told you we're going to get real. We need to get real because this goes on all the time. Okay? <clears throat> You're our apostle. Okay? What if there was another apostle and there could be in here and you're sitting in there an apostle? Would you receive from that level? But if you're a nobody, then you're a nobody. So then the word that comes out of the mouth, is, it's a nobody. That's just, just him rabbiting on again. But if he's got a gift of that and the purpose, and I understand the purpose of that, then whoa, I'm sitting like this. Why? Because the Bible says that faith comes through the ability to hear the word, and the word's about to come. So I'm on the edge of my seat waiting. I'm here early. I've been praying, fasting for the word because I'm here because it's going to feed my spirit. It's going to build me and change me. So come on, preach. And then I'm going through the week and I'm listening to it over, 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 eating it, eating it. When I go from A to B, when I'm on the shopping, got my headphones on, I'm eating the word because I'm hearing the word and I'm getting built. That's what it would look like. It's very quiet. Spiritual father. What if the eldership of your spiritual fathers, spiritual fathers, mothers? See, I listened to my dad. When he came and rebuked me, my story at the start, because he was my father. I didn't go, whatever, Dad. Up yours, Dad. See you later, Dad. My father brought me into alignment. I heard him, and behavior shifted. Was he doing that to hurt me? No. Was he doing that to help me? Yes. 
Was he doing that for my own welfare? Yes. Is this how we live? It's really not as a whole in the body, guys. It's not. As a leader. So even to yourselves, think about that. Think about, do you know how many people that say to me, and this really is a joke, oh, you're our pastor. And they don't do what you tell them. They disagree with you. They leave and walk away when you say something. And yet they profess you to be their spiritual oversight. Do you know how many people have left the rock and have had conversations with me? Actually sat down and said, we want to talk to you about something we believe is of the Lord. You think about all the people that have gone and come and gone. Do you know how many people? Two. Johnny Gilling and Mike and Ingrid Hewitson are the only people that have come to have a conversation with myself or the eldership. Everyone just goes. Why? Because they don't understand the Father and the Father's ways. It's an institutional mindset. It's a club mindset. Church is a place I come to to get a fix. It's not my family. And when it becomes family and you understand family, everything shifts because in my natural family, it had a structure. It had an authority structure. There were people in place who modeled healthy parenting, who children came under. They were confident parents in themselves, created confident kids, and it worked as non-Christians. And God is no different. So he gives us the physical typology of a physical family to show you what spiritual family is supposed to be, but that trumps that 10 times. But we treat this like a club, and we treat the people that God has sent as nobody's really, as a whole. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about as a whole in the body. And we're supposed to come under, and it works. Yes, there is tension. Yes, it's scary. Doesn't mean you can't necessarily do what you want to do. You better write, better believe. It'll stop you doing what you want. Because we're not supposed to be doing what we want. We're supposed to be doing what he wants. Because I died. But I'm trying to hang on to my life. Why? There's no life in that. It's death. So I need to send you people to come and give you messages to get you free of you and get you into the body and start living as a body, as an arm connected, not roaming around just visiting all the other bodies going, well, I'm an arm and I'll suck out of you and I'll suck out of you and I'll suck out of you. Because why not get connected? Why not? Why not get connected? Because I want to live. Because I've got to commit. If I've got to commit to a body, I've got to live. I've got to do things I don't necessarily want to do. That's right, but you're dead, aren't you? Someone's got to say it as it really is. Because everyone's afraid to in case everyone leaves. But I told you, I'm, I dealt with that nine years ago. <laughs> and I'm not saying to offend you, but we need to preach the truth and we need to be free of one another so we can preach the truth and not in the fear of whether you all leave and never come back because it ain't my church, it's his. So we just sell the building, get another job, go. I'll go back to Liverpool and watch football. Great. <laughs> You free me from my calling, please. <laughs> Can you free me? I go, Lord, they all left. Can I now get out of the calling? No. Mm, stuck in this thing. But there's a massive, I hope you can. That's right. That's absolutely right. It's like you're screwed. Literally. You can't never be happy because the calling 
is on. It's given. You didn't ask for it. It's put in you. And it's for us all. Live a life worthy of the calling, guys. What is the calling? The calling is to be in covenant, the bride of Christ. Live a life worthy. I've called you to be a people, consecrated, holy, set apart unto me, being separated from every other person in your life and every other thing and defined by me, built by me. Then reattach back to these people so you don't suck the life out of each other and everything else and you're free and hopefully Through that influence, these people are coming over here. They're leaving their empires and they're coming into the kingdom. And this has no self in it. And that's the church's challenge. And so Jesus knew who he was. He spoke it. It got him in trouble. He's looking for fellow disciples, sons and daughters who know who they are, who will speak it get in trouble, but in it all, the church is truly being built. And we all have to confront the reality of it and through the crushing and through the pressing and through the relinquishing of your flesh and your will, you come into this life that is not earthly, it's truly heavenly, it's truly eternal It's a substance in you. So although you can be crushed, you're not perplexed. Although you're smashed, you're not broken because the earthen vessel has the glory of God. And it says for momentary light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that's being produced, which is far outweighing anything on earth. And it's available to every one of you and me if we choose it. So we need to raise up a leadership that want it in it Model it, speak it, live it. Amen? We've run out of time. We won't do questions. Let's wrap it. Take the questions home. Listen to it. We can send you the questions if you want and seek the Spirit on it for yourself. Amen. Thanks, guys.